Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. It's the Jim Fannin Show. We've come to take your mind. Oh, am I still on? get to know you um i've been a short time follower by the way you can't say you're canceled from twitter if you're still on twitter you can't like quit leaning on that crutch already come on are you unmuted you gotta unmute for me sorry i told you to mute and then i forgot to give my guests well i mean you know you have to be a short time follower because i was genuinely canceled from twitter unfortunately Mm -hmm. um you know i had i had a good base that i built over two years unfortunately uh, I was canceled during, I, I was covering the Freedom Convoy and unfortunately I was suspended without reason. So, um, you know, so so you have to be a short time follower if you're following me now because I just joined back up. So I definitely was canceled by Twitter. It's a bit of a mystery as to why they canceled me. Like I said, they never gave me any good reasons. So um, if you're listening to me tonight, probably you're all new listeners and, and that's great. Um, that's a very good thing. Um, and I'm very, very grateful because Twitter's been actually very, very good to me since I've been back. Um, you know, I've reported numerous accounts for uh, various reasons. Um, you know, I, I don't report, um, you know, I, I'm not like, you know, I'm not like I'm always reporting accounts, but there have been some accounts that were, you know, genuinely um, concerning that I've reported and Twitter has taken them down. So, um, and obviously knowing and looking at me saying, well, we, we suspended this woman before, right? So we're going to side with her this time. So it's a little bit of a, a mystery Twitter and how it operates. Uh, it's very, very interesting. I love how, you know, this acquisition of, of Twitter from Elon Musk is bringing all this out and, uh, you know, maybe showing us as, as to how our social media platforms are actually run. 
Um, you know, I look at bots and things like that. So I think that there's a lot of bot accounts. Um, and, uh, you know, there's a lot of accounts that were created specifically. And this is really interesting. I, I've been working with some researchers as to how many accounts, we're gonna do a study on this actually. It's gonna be really, really cool, I think, as to how many accounts were actually created during the protests in Ottawa, um, you know, from January, mid-January till about, you know, mid-April and to see how many accounts were actually created and what these accounts said during this time period um, when the protests were going on in Ottawa and which side they were on and try to find out where they actually originated from um, and their networks. I think that's going to be a really, really cool study. So I'm really, really excited about it. Um, so yeah, anyways, so this is me. Good to, good to meet you, Jim. It's our first time. So, you know, I mean, let's just get into it. I don't know. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so it's interesting what, what where your passions lie. You kind of you you gravitate towards the issues that you're passionate about, obviously. And when you feel like you have to stand up and say something, then you you only have so many avenues to do it. So you're on terrestrial radio, correct? Uh, I'm 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 just on Twitter, and then I do a show with Mark Petroni on Saga 960 AM. Okay, so you are so actually on a on a physical radio station in Canada. Yeah, yeah. So we've we you know we've got a, a good you know we've got a good probably million of people that we can reach. So it's not a bad stretch. Um, you know we we try to do a show at least once a week on on different issues. It doesn't really matter what the issue is. Just you know common political events of the day or whatever. Um, yeah, and so I run you know my Twitter platform. I've got my own show that I'm trying to get ramped up. Um, and of course, we've got a YouTube channel, but it just I don't promote this stuff. I, I do this all for for free, right? This is this is kind of more of a it's a it's a hobby slash passion slash obsession for me. Yeah, I know. Um, <laughs> so you know, um, well, can you tell, tell us a little bit about where you started. How did you get into it? Are you you know is this uh, are you a personality of circumstance like or have you been in broadcasting for a long time? I mean, you know, I've had several reiterations of the Jim Fannin show. I had a couple of radio shows got fired from the last one for you know making fun of a local festival. It was my it was actually one of my best bits, my last bit on that uh, station. And uh, then similarly to you, I've had multiple accounts canceled. I had a pretty good Jim Fannin show YouTube channel that I rode. It was a 10-year-old channel, and then I just decided I was going to blow it up. And I blew it up, and I blew it up to, I don't know, 6,000 subs and 3 million views in a few months. And uh, I was very strategic about it. And then I put COVID in one of my titles, and they disappeared the whole channel when in the early days. I put a Don Cherry podcast up and I put uh, a coronavirus, actually, it wasn't COVID back then. I put a coronavirus in the title and they just disappeared the channel and my income. It was about 1500 a month for those three months, you know, like, or a couple months. Anyways, yeah, my first check was 1600 bucks. I'm like, oh, geez, you can make money on YouTube. And then it was just gone. So I've, I've gone through. So I'm more interested in like how you got to where you are and what you've done to get here or, because I don't know that much about you. And um, I think in... Most of my, uh, you know, viewers and listeners won't know either. So, um, yeah, I'm glad to hear the the Andy Lee story from the beginning. I mean, the beginning. <laughs> like yeah, who, who are you? it's not that interesting a story. Um, so my my um, my mother, one of my mothers died. Um, I've got two mothers. I'm blessed that way. 
Um, so one of my mothers died during lockdowns um, and I got really, really angry. And so I was lonely. So I took to Twitter and I started fighting back on Twitter and social media and researching the federal government. Um, and my family, my ex-husband, my children are Chinese. Um, so I got really, really interested in sort of foreign influence in our government, uh, corporate influence in our government. And so I sort of really focused on that. Um, and I ended up being really, really good at it. And so uh, Stephen Harper's former house leader, Jay Hill, took notice of me. Um, he just said, I think that you have a real talent for politics. I had never done this before, anything like this before. So I was, you know, I, I didn't know anything about politics, geopolitics, um, you know, anything, uh, any of this stuff. I didn't know anything about it. Um, but he just said, you have a real affinity for it. Will you run for the federal election? So I ran for the federal election. It was a great experience. Um, it, it really, really opened my eyes as to how politics are run in this country. I had a great team behind me. It was really, really um, amazing to see people who are really, really passionate about politics, um, not for any reason that is anything other than altruistic, right? Like it was, it was really, really cool to, after examining how our politicians uh, operate in our country, to see that people would rally behind, um, you know, somebody who who just genuinely wanted to to do better, right? No ulterior motives or anything like that. So I was like, wow, there's still really good in our country. Um, it was fascinating for me. And so then uh, I I briefly um, talked to Tamara Litch before the convoy. Um, I was very, very concerned as to how these people were being portrayed in our media um, and, and the verbiage being used. Um, they were being painted as, as villains before they had even done anything simply for uh, protesting against their government. And I have a real issue with that. I think that that's a, a, you know, an enshrouded right that all Canadians should uh, you know, feel that they are entitled to and that they should be able to practice that. So I said that I would follow the convoy to Ottawa. So I followed them to Ottawa. Um, I subsequently got deplatformed. Uh, Jordan Peterson had a huge fit when I was deplatformed. Um, I also got debanks. My bank accounts were frozen as well while I was in Ottawa, unfortunately. Um, but that's okay. I didn't let it get me down. I, you know, regrouped, um, started over, and you know, started the real Andy Lee show, and said, you know what? So, I mean, this is, you know, like I said, you don't have to be, you don't have to be a career politician to do stuff like this or a career media personality. And this is never what I intended to do. Like I never thought I would be here talking with you, talking with Mark Petroni, talking with politicians, getting really good interviews, getting really good scoops, things like that. I never thought that I would do it. So anybody can do it if you have enough passion to do it, right? It's just, it's, it's sort of like you have to just feel it and you have to go for it, right? And and if I can do it, anybody can do it. There's nothing special about me whatsoever, right? I was just a, a single Canadian mom who was sick of lockdowns, right? And and wanted to do something different. And I was like, can I make a difference in my country? And I I like to think that you know maybe I didn't make the biggest difference, but maybe I made some difference, um, you know. And and that's worth something, right? Uh, I feel like Canadians got really uh, apathetic in our political system, um, in our rights and freedoms and things like that. We live in a very comfortable realm where, you know, not much goes on in Canada. 
you know, we're, we're just sort of lounging in our own little realm here and nothing really exciting goes on. And then all of a sudden we were put into like the, you know, the center of scrutiny of the entire world for what we did, right? We rose up and protested against our government in an unprecedented way that was wild, that all the world took note of, um, you know, in, in, in protest of uh, vaccine mandates, travel mandates, you know, ma uh, mandated uh, mandatory boosters, right? Things like this. So, I mean, it was just sort of like this, this very, you know, um, mostly, you know, peaceful, quiet population all of a sudden rose up uh, against all odds and stood up against their governments uh, over lockdowns. It was very, very unexpected. And, you know, so I felt like, it, and I don't have to, here's the important thing about reporting. You don't have to agree with everything that people say to understand that they have a right to speak their minds. You don't have to agree with them. So even though I didn't agree with everything that the protesters did, I still had a respect, a deep respect that they had a right to speak their minds and to be heard as long as their protest was legal and peaceful, which it was ruled to be by Superior Court, right? So it was like, I didn't need to, people like, you know, you're getting on board with this. I'm like, no, I'm not even an anti-vaxxer. I'm, vac I'm vaccinated, right? Like I had no personal vested interest in any of these movements, right? Um, but it just, I realized that, um, you know, our, our media bias has become so extreme in our country that, um, you know, that the right side really needs more defenders. And I don't even really like doing this because I'd like to be reporting more moderately. That's my personal feeling. I'd like to report on not just, you know, not just being a, a right wing reporter. I'd like to also, you know, report on things. There are issues in the right, the, the left side as well, right? So I don't just want to be like stuck in one side of that political spectrum. I don't really like that. I wish I could branch out more, but it just right now I'm boxed in because I feel like our left wing media bias is so extreme that I have to stand up for one side and, and help defend them. So anyways, that's like a little nutshell of how I came to be here. Um, you know, like I said, it was nothing glamorous. It was not intended. I fell into it. I think a lot of people have fallen into it. That's the really cool thing about social media nowadays is, you know, and, you know, before, um, you know, before we were able to network in these manners, um, you know, you, you couldn't really be heard on platforms. We only had one news source or a couple of news sources. Whereas now, you know what, if you can um, use social media, you can go anywhere for your news sources, right? You're not boxed in. You can go to, you know, you can go to Jim, you can go to me, you can go to other people, right? It, it doesn't matter where you go to. But I think the important thing is that, um, and, and this is what I have a big problem with our government with, is trying to rein this in. Because we know that they don't like these alternative news sources. They're talking about, um, you know, being able to sort of, regulate what YouTube, things like that, put out there. This is what I don't like it, is that um, I feel like it's really important to our democracy that we've been given choice. I think that that's essential, is that we've been given choices. And that's super, super, super important. 
Um, you know, we're not boxed into listening to what's on our six o'clock news. Mm-hmm. Well, I hear you when you say, you know, uh, the bias of the media, it's, it never used to be that way. Like when we were younger, we grew up around the television and CBC and CNN weren't like that. Now it's, it's actually embarrassing for me to watch. I don't find myself there very often. I get attracted to like Fox News because they actually still have fun on their shows and they're entertaining. I mean, uh, Ga- um, Gavin McInnes, oh shit, we got to hit that topic. Um, Tucker Carlson, uh, as far as a broadcaster goes, is flawless. He mispronounced a word the other day, and I'm like, write it down. The guy made a mistake. He's, I think, is the show live? I mean, it, either way, it's live to tape. They don't do any post-production on that show, I don't think. But, um, you know, and they have fun, and I feel like I'm getting both sides of it. You know, you just give me the news and let me decide. Like, don't, you know, but I do appreciate the fun, you know. And, you know, it's been a long journey for me being a lefty for so long, but the left wasn't crazy when I was with the left. You know, they weren't talking about a hundred and diff- hundred different genders and boys can become girls. Like we're in some scary stuff. And so I'd, I'd like to ask you, you know, what you find the root cause is, I guess anyone with children, I don't have them, um, would say I do it for the kids. I do it for the kids. It's exactly like uh, when I had Shandor over, he was a, uh, the guy that scraped up the stickers at Shoppers Drug Mart is a, you know, a parody on Defiance almost, you know what I mean? It was a, it was a really deep joke and he got arrested, whatever, he made a scene, uh, filmed it. And then they arrested him for, we all got, we all got charged with uh, breaking the lockdown, going to a protest and marching through the streets. One of the biggest f- celebrations of freedoms. I don't think St. Catharines, my little hometown of 140,000 people, actually had two or 3,000 people take to the streets, and the, and the cops were cool. They shut down the streets, and they knew where we were going. I didn't march, but I, I, I took the mic. I was the lead MC, and um, I, I didn't talk very long, not even two minutes, and... Yeah, I had a charge for uh, October, sorry, uh, April 10th and April 17th, and they, or April 10th and 17th, yeah, and they took Shander to jail. Anyways, I don't know where I'm going with this now, uh, or I was talking about Shander. Anyways, the, uh, with the, le- the, the media coverage, I'm wandering all over the place here. It just seems so biased now, and it didn't ever used to be that way, and it's hard to look at these accounts And, you know, through this whole pandemic, oh, that's where we're going to, the underlying commitment. Oh, yeah, I know. Shandor brought his kid. I met his kid at the driveway after we did the interview, and he was one. And he said, Jimmy, after this mask mandate's done, it'll be, my kid will be, I I think maybe he was eight months old. I don't know. My kid will be like a year old, and he will not have seen a stranger's face (laughs) in public. And that, for me, was it that it was game on at that point. And I've always been political. I've always kind of had a show and been controversial enough. To, you know, I love mocking and calling names and all the things that, you know, I know I shouldn't do. It's funny. I'm fucking hilarious. There's no two ways about it. So <laughs> shut up. If you don't like it, then whatever. Uh, but yeah, when, when he told me that and then, you know, we're, gonna, we're not going to see for decades the effect on our children about the lockdowns, about the masking, about the loss of the school years. And that wasn't COVID that did that. That was not coronavirus that ruined our children. Because if we did nothing, we couldn't have changed the numbers at all. Like, I'm convinced everything we did, and I said it from the beginning, nothing of what you're doing is going to contain this. 
You cannot, it's just got, it's just, this is why we went to all this work and shut down economies and mandated vaccines and masks. The, the, the masking of the children is absolutely bar none the, the, my biggest issue with it all because I think it's most detrimental. detrimental. And we have decades to see the results of that mask experiment, if you know what I mean. So, uh, yeah, I wonder what your underlying commitment is. Was there a point in time when you snapped or was there, there was a, like, a, like something happened? I, I know I mentioned, so, I saw some of your writing, you're speaking about, you know, losing your mom over the pandemic and how that went down. Like, you know, was there, what's your underlying commitment and what kind of turned the switch for you to go, oh, it's all wrong? Yeah, I mean, I, losing my mom was part of it. So I lost her really early on in the pandemic. That was in April 2020. Um, that was when lockdowns had just started. We were told not to travel. Um, so, um, you know, she unfortunately died um, and I wasn't able to visit her. Um, so, so yeah, so that was, that was part of it. That got me on Twitter. It got me on social media. It got me reporting. It got me investigating. It got me networking. Um, and actually probably one of my, you know, my huge red pill moments was when I started looking at, um, you know, China, I started looking at, um, you know, the things that the WHO had put out, they were contradicted by China's own health authorities. Um, so I was very, very concerned. And then of course, you know, we had our, you know, we had our own health authorities. We had Patty Hadju, we had Teresa Tam parroting this. Like I found one tweet that went back, um, you know, and it was the WHO and there was like, there's no clear evidence of human to human transmission. But that very same day, the Wuhan public health authorities had put out that there was evidence of human to human transmission. And of course this was during when, you know, the point when Justin Trudeau was campaigning for a UN security council seat. Right. right? right. He was like, I mean, when all this went down, mm -hmm. he was, he was campaigning for a UN security seat. Right. Which he lost. Um, so I was sort of like, are you just ignoring all of this, you know, this overwhelming information, um, you know, and sort of playing the game because, you know, you don't want to upset anybody who could, you know, potentially, you know, vote against you for your UN security council seat. Um, so that was sort of my red pill moment. And then, yeah, I, I met up with some other people. Michael Sanger, fantastic author, attorney, suing Twitter right now. He was banned as well, wrote a great book. Um, I think that my red pill moment was really though when, um, I, think it, I think it came independently and it was after I was vaccinated, but I still wasn't allowed freedom of movement and other places were still locked down. I was like, wow. okay, so we're all vaccinated, mm -hmm. but we're also locked down. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I can remember going to my kids' school for events and I was double vaccinated. I would still have to mask. Oh, I would still have to show my QR code oh my God. to get into the school, to get into the school. Wow. This is an elementary school. So I would have to show my QR code, even though I'm double vaccinated, I would have to mask. And then the kids would all still be masked and six feet apart sitting in hula hoops oh, and I was like this is gross man hold on here you said that this is my ticket to freedom mm -hmm. right so like um when does normal start wow right if normal doesn't start now then when's it starting <laughs> and do you guys have any intention of starting normal? Shapiro said the same thing I took two shots it's over it's done I'm I'm free to go now you can't do anything I played your game
Well, I guess we're still recording. <laughs> Do I have sound? Is my shit back up? Okay. <laughs> uh, power outage. You're not hearing this. The Zoom meeting has ended. I think everything got ended. And uh, I'm still recording. The Andy Lee Show was my guest. Till we uh, unceremoniously was <laughs> relieved of our duties. So this will be one for the, for the archives. I'm going to try and get the show up, actually. I haven't been doing shows much lately. Uh, my last show was with Shandor and Pat Dixon and Josh Bigger, the best damn roofer, and um, anyways, I'm watching my computer reboot here. Or no, my computer's not rebooting, but the rest of the system is rebooting. Yeah, it's the last time I um, did a show. And we're back again. Okay, so every time the power goes out, it flashes everything. And then the generator kicks in. And then when the generator kicks off, it does the same thing. So this is fun. We might have to um, see if we can get her back. Yeah, we're 26 minutes in, so I was supposed to have her for an hour. So it might be all right after this. <laughs> Having a butt. All right. So sorry about that. I'm a little sidetracked now because I don't, I'm not usually prepared for my power to go out. All right, well, welcome to the Jim Fannin Show. <laughs> this is how we do it. Communicating with the Andy Lee show. Try and get her back in. I hate that, Daddy. So, yeah, I haven't done a show in a while. I'll, try and get, I'll get this up on the podcast since we haven't had a show up in a while. Um, get this one up soon. It's rendering. Maybe I'm going to have to reboot. Let's see here. Unable to connect. No. All right. Am I back in here or am I going to have to reboot? Join. Oh. Recording in progress. Sorry about that. How much fun is this? All right. So I think we should be good to go. I'm going to get a red light on the... Bandwidth. Let's see, what am I going to do here? 
boot OBS. Oh, it's still recording. Maybe that's not. There she is. Nice. Uh, maybe I shouldn't. No, let's just go back here. Oh, you're back with me already? Good. Hey, yeah. No, I don't know what happened there. We just, I just saw that I was the host and I was like, I'm going to leave. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what happened. I just like dropped out. It was like, you are the host of this meeting. I was like, no, I'm not the host of this meeting. I'm out of here. I am in Sasua, Dominican Republic, and uh, Hydro, you can't call it Hydro, the power, the electricity is not reliable, so when uh, when it cuts, the generator kicks in, and then it kicks back out again, so <laughs> it's flashed twice in the last two, couple minutes. We could be okay. We're not broadcasting. I mean, um, it could be worse. We could be in California, <laughs> right? <laughs> I mean, yeah. let's face it. Let me see. I'm getting a red light on my OBS here. Oh, because it's, it's streaming. So, so we'll stop the stream. Unless it restarted the stream, maybe. Start stream. I'm just going to restart the stream and see. I've got a red light on my bandwidth, though. So I'm wondering why that is. I continued recording. Oh, it's going yellow and now it's green. So we might be okay. That's a right. short commercial break. I haven't done a show in a while, so thank you for the opportunity because I am so resigned and cynical through this whole whole thing. I left Canada, never thought I would leave my own country. I, I stood for candidacy 10 times and ran for leadership of the Green Party in 06 with Elizabeth May and David Chernichenko. Man, how they've changed. And I've changed too, you know. I've been red-pilled. I thought Trump was hilarious, you know. Uh, and it's cost me everything, really, in my big mouth. And like I said, I, I'm not above mocking and uh, calling names and that kind of stuff. So, and I, you know, I've never said sorry. I'm not, you know, it's just, I'm pissed off. But when I heard that they were going to stop the unvaccinated from leaving the country, I'm like, I can't be here. I can't, I can't, I don't want to be stuck anywhere. You know, I want to, I want to believe I live in one of the freest countries on the planet. And I had 21 days, and I booked it. I booked my, I booked it on the 1st of October, and by the 22nd I flew out a week before the mandate came in, and it's going to be a year soon. And, like, the thoughts of me flying back to Toronto, I have nightmares about that. Marked it, too, right? <laughs> Marked it, too. It's all so right. So I appreciate the opportunity it's because I, I've gotten to the point where I'm blackpilled, where it's hopeless, and I, every time... Social media is a sickness for me, you know? I look at it, and it makes me angry, and it makes me rage, and it makes me say mean things, and I don't need that kind of stuff. And when I'm busy selling real estate down here, I'm not on social media. It's when I'm bored or, you know, I'm, well, I'm hardly ever bored these days, so I haven't been on it a lot, but I appreciate the opportunity. I'm having Shandor on tomorrow. He's the guy that scraped up the, uh, the stickers and choppers drug mart and uh, then went to jail for, for speaking on a megaphone. And like, yeah, it's I mean, just... you know, it's uh, that's why I, I'm sort of struggling because I'm trying to figure out what sort of a like I said, because I never intended to do this. So I'm trying to figure out what kind of an ecosystem I'm creating. Um, and I'm really, really looking hard at that. And, you know, I'm looking at if, if I'm creating a positive ecosystem or a negative ecosystem. Um, and some of the things I've done are definitely no doubt negative. Um, but I've realized, too, that I can use now my influence to influence people positively to um you know exercise their rights um in productive ways right like i was talking about um 
uh, Elliot McDavid. So the way he yelled at Christian Freeland, um, was that illegal? No, he, he called her bad names, right? It was, it was ugly. I didn't like watching it, but I was like, hold on here. That was a huge missed opportunity because if Elliot McDavid had have had a little bit of coaching, he could have asked her some really good questions and she probably would have just slammed the door on his face and made herself look like the monster that she is, right? So we have to be able to use these opportunities to our best advantage and not to our detriment, right? Like, I'm like, there's a way that you can put your message forward. I'm not going to be the free speech police. If you want to go out, swear at politicians, harass them, you know what, have at her, right? But is that the most productive way to get your message across? No, it's not. There's much more productive ways to get your message across. Mm -hmm. The way to get your message across is to make them look bad, not you. Right. So that's what what I really focused on is how to get your politicians to make themselves look bad and not you look bad. And that's the thing. Every time we look at them, they're so cringe and everything they do is corrupt and everything they do is broken. They screw. They could, you know, my father would say they fuck up a one car funeral. Like it's it's not they do it to themselves. So it's it's hardly surprising that a guy like that is that pissed off and that filled with rage to to come off like that and I agree completely with you the discourse you know we could use to lower the temperature a little bit but we wouldn't be in this position if you weren't seizing Canadians bank accounts and locking them down and ruining their lives and telling us it's for the greater good and a new normals around the corner and selling hope and you know my, my heart breaks mostly for the kids but also for the for the 80% of the people that just do what they're told I can't believe we live in a society where the masses can be duped so easily. Like from the beginning, the, I, the masks don't do anything. As far as I'm concerned, this is a contact sport. You touch a surface that somebody else touches and then do what you're doing right now. You touch your eye, you're infected. I don't believe that, you know, I always grew up with the, with the knowledge. It could be fake news. I don't know. But my belief was always you could be in an elevator with someone with a contagious cold, coughing and spitting and sneezing and whatever. As long as they don't spe- you know, sneeze in your face, you know, you getting what they've got just from being in that enclosed space is, as long as you don't touch them or, the, you know, something they touched, you're not going to get it. You know, yeah, so I don't I mean, know about this airborne virus and you just breathe the air and now you're sick. I, I don't I never. Anyways, I was, you know, really stunned by how many people just bought in and it broke my heart. I thought we had a bigger, you know, we were more informed or we had more independent thinking. We could make up our minds. And no, most of the people just put their in my hometown. When we did the mask thing, we put it on for it was mandatory indoors where you couldn't social distance. And the next day, everyone had them on on the street in their cars. Like they went way overboard with it. I'm like, first of all, why would you think putting a cloth diaper on your face is good for you? Second of all, why can't you stand up and just say no enough? You know, and now we know the mask didn't work. Social distancing didn't work. Wash your hands. So anyways, I'm blathering. It's not about me, but. Sense, uh, no, no, sure I understand what you're saying. You know, so this is something interesting about me is that I grew up in the greater Toronto area. I went to McMaster University. I lectured there. Um, and uh, I actually worked at Credit Valley as well. And I worked at Credit Valley 
during um, the SARS outbreak in 2003. So I was one of the first people who was exposed to a SARS patient um, in the in the GTA, and I had to quarantine. I had to choose which hospital I would go to. Um, and of course, SARS was a, a different animal. Um, it, it had a mortality rate for young people, you know, that was approaching 11, 12%. So it was really, really terrifying respiratory disease, but not nearly as virulent. But I mean, if anybody ever said here, you know what, put on a cloth mask and go deal with this SARS patient, I would have been like, yeah, no. <laughs> I'm gonna take my my fit tested, you know, N95, whatever that might be. I mean, when you when you work with actual, you know, super virulent contagious diseases that are really detrimental in hospitals, you go through these fit testings once a year. So you go through various N95 masks, they'll fit test you to make sure that you've got an excellent seal and things like that to prevent transmission. When you're working with people with things like active TB, right? Um, things like that. So, I mean, so I, I actually went through this with SARS in 2003. Um, and so I was kind of laughing when our health officials were like, yeah, you can just wear whatever mask you want in 2020, but wear it or else you'll get a ticket. And I'm kind of like, well, okay. I, I mean, I would never, if this was like a deadly disease, I would never be like, okay, I'm just going to slap a cloth a cloth mask on my face that I bought at Shoppers Drug Mart mm, sure and pretend that this is protecting me. Right. Uh, and, and, you know, you're going to ticket me if I'm not wearing this and pretend like this is reducing transmission. These are not the standard procedures that are followed in hospitals at all. Mm. Or, you know, uh, airborne, virulence, uh, respiratory diseases. These are not the standards. Right. Right. But yet all of a sudden they were sort of, you know, enshrined into pandemic law for some reason. Um, and I'm like, I mean, I, sure. Do they help a little bit? Is it a layer? Yeah, sure. Maybe it's a layer of protection. But I mean, let, let's face it, a layer of protection against what? Most of our population was vaccinated and the bulk of our population was never really at huge risk at all. Mm -hmm. That's what the data says. And we didn't we didn't intentionally protect the ones that were we knew right off the bat we knew right off the bat the average age was 80 for deaths I mean, we, we trapped them we trapped them into long-term care mm -hmm. we said that basically you have to stay in your care homes you can't get out um you can't go outside you can't leave you mm -hmm. have to stay in your rooms um and so what we actually did is we actually and there was a great study did i, I wish i had it on hand there was actually a great study done really early on in the pandemic and it showed that lockdowns were the most effective when they were extremely brief and harsh. So we're talking about under two weeks and then done. Mm -hmm. um, and they actually showed that, um, you know, people who were locked into long-term care facilities and things like that may have had an increased risk of transmission because they weren't allowed to escape from that environment, right? Mm -hmm. We locked our seniors into homes where, um, people weren't allowed into, right? Um, there was, you know, there was poor staffing. We laid off a whole bunch of staff, long-term care staff wouldn't go to work. My mom worked in long-term care. She actually, she did great in her long-term care home. Um, they never got any sort of an outbreak or anything, but that was really, really rare in the GTA. That wasn't the norm. The norm was that there was outbreaks and these outbreaks ripped through these long-term care facilities because they lacked proper protective equipment. Um, there was no hand sanitizer or things like that at the beginning. 
I mean, my mom, I can remember my mom texting me and she was like, can you find me a homemade recipe for hand sanitizer? And she's working in a long-term care home in the GTA, right? Mm. And I'm like, okay, here's uh, here's a recipe if you can find these ingredients, right? Here you go. So, I mean, this is what they were dealing with early on in the pandemic. But I mean, it was bonkers because we were sending out PPE all over the planet. Like this was never going to hit us. Um, meanwhile, most of that PPE came back in the form of gifts from foreign countries, right? Especially China. Like we sent out how many tons? I think it was 16 tons of PPE to China in the beginning of the pandemic. Then Huawei turned around and they were like, well, we're going to return the favor. We're going to give you all that PPE back. And I was like, of course, Huawei is going to give us all this PPE back that China desperately needs. I mean, you would think that if China really needed PPE, they would be getting it from an internal source like Huawei. Not, and Huawei wouldn't be giving it away to a country that's maybe thinking about banning their 5G technology. Like, let's get real here, people. What's going on here? I mean, if you guys needed it, you would have kept it. You wouldn't have sent it to Canada as we're trying to make a ruling as to whether Huawei should be included in our 5G network, right? I mean, like, let's open our eyes here. And so, yeah, there. I mean, there's just there's so many of these moments where you're just like, something has gone wrong here, but it just, they won't give it up. You know, they just, they won't um, relinquish this. They won't walk it back because nobody likes to be wrong. I mean, I don't like to be wrong either, but let's face it though, a lot of things went wrong here, right? There was not the proper scrutiny there was a lot of foreign influence. There was a lot of misinformation. Um, there was a lot of fear mongering, right? And there was a lot of uh, uh, power grabs that happened that, um, you know, people don't want to relinquish. Um, and so those are those are all important things that we have to acknowledge. And I agree with you that we're going to be unpacking this for decades, if not the next century. Honestly, I mean, this was an unprecedented thing. Mm -hmm. And yeah, and I mean, the kids for sure. I mean, we've seen kids. That was one of my first concerns is, you know, we have a low risk age group who has been, you know, um, who is not able to receive their education. And so my daughter was one and a half when the pandemic hit. Um, so she went um, basically a full two years, never talking to anybody aside from her immediate family. Um, and these are the most important years for language right from your from the time you're like one till three this is when you you know you you gain language skills so she basically learned to talk only within the members of her own house this was hugely concerning to me and whenever she went into the house she had to wear a mask right so she had no um way of learning verbal or um sorry unverbal communications right um and things like that like and there's there's so many things when it comes to talking to people even right now i'm looking at your face there's nuance, right? My words don't matter anywhere as much as my nuance matters and things like that, right? How you present yourself. Um, so those things are all so important and our kids missed out on that and they're gonna be nailed big time. And I, I think the huge tragedy of this is that what we, we're gonna see probably in the future is that kids are gonna have an even harder time relating um, to each other and other people in the real world and probably they're going to have an easier time relating to online life, which is already dangerous before this social media kids took to social media on mass during the pandemic. Um, it was how they communicated. It was already a little bit of a slippery slope, a little bit of a dangerous um, place for them to go. 
uh, you know, unbridled access to YouTube, TikTok, all these platforms that are not really well policed. Um, and so this, these are what kids use during the pandemic. And so I think that what we're going to see is, is that we're going to see um, because the kids were not taught proper in-person verbal and non-verbal communication, I think that we're going to see them increasingly turning to online communication because that's what they were conditioned to use. Um, but, and you know, it, that's, that's, a, it's a pretty sad story. Mm-hmm. You know, you said something that just kind of resonated with me. I'm willing to concede the point social media is dangerous because I'm normally the guy I'm like dangerous, whatever, what words aren't violence, blah, blah, blah. So maybe not in that sense, although it could be used for that. I don't think it is much. I'm not a believer in, you know, we hold women down and we're racist. I'm, I don't buy into that whole, yeah, you have isolated uh, incidents, but people get mocked and yelled at because they're shitty people. Like we don't just, we don't, you know, there are like, we're so tolerant now, you know? And, uh, you know, but dangerous from this health, the mental health standpoint, if you put it in that context, then it's, I think it is very dangerous for all of us that are out here engaged in this and it's affecting us one way or another, uh, not in a very good way. I'm not, you know, like the kids that are growing up with parents that limit their screen times or don't let them go online, I think are going to be way better off for it. You know, like I feel polluted by social media. It's an addiction for me. It's like a drug. I, I feel like, you know, I need it for marketing and promotion and all that kind of stuff. But no, I go out there and I just, it's almost like, I mean, I remember having Primo on or somebody there, uh, you know, a year ago. And I'm like, you know, I, am I one of those guys that wakes up in the morning and then goes to Twitter to find out what to be raged about? Like, have I fallen into that? That's my dopamine. That's my drug. I just go find people to get pissed off at because that's all that's on Twitter. It doesn't make you feel good, you know, but, or you get an echo chamber and everyone agrees with you. So it's, but I, yeah, when you said dangerous, I'm like, yeah, dangerous. Yeah. Yeah. Dangerous. It is dangerous. It is dangerous. Mm-hmm. And I, like I said, I, I've fallen into that trap myself, right? Where I'm just like going out there and I'm like, I can score a lot of points if I say this. But I'm trying to rein that in and be like, wait a minute, is this sort of the best use of my time? Um, you know, how is this going to make this other person feel? You know, there's a lot of bot accounts out there and things like that, but there's also a lot of real people behind these accounts that put a lot of work into them. So, um, you know, is, is this what I'm, is this my job is to go out there and, and go to war with the other side of social media every day? Is that productive? No it's much more productive for me to be researching, finding documents, finding contracts, um, you know, finding stories, things like that, putting it out there, um, trying to be not biased. Although obviously I, I have an issue with the government, the current government, not necessarily liberals in general. People are like, you you know, you hate liberals. I'm like, I actually don't hate liberals. I've been I hating love, whoever's in power I love for some a previous long time. Liberals. I love some previous NDPers mm. and even some Greens. Right. And I certainly love the Reform Party. So I'm like, it's really not. I just have a huge issue with the way that this particular liberal government has conducted themselves. I think that they've conducted themselves in a way that is extremely unbecoming. So that's not what, but I'm like, you know, would it be better served? You know, should I get into these, you know, these mass wars, uh, you know, with these big accounts and, and try to, you know, bring them down? No. That's actually not the best use of my time. The best use of my time is just to research, mm-hmm. throw up documents, be like, this is what's happened. This is what I found. 
um, you know, take that at how you will, right? Yeah, you mentioned Preston, or I'll pre- mention Preston Manning. Wow, I heard him on with Jordan Peterson, and wow, and I'm going to fanboy a little bit here. Jordan Peterson, I mean, I've got a degree in Jordan Peterson. I took uh, I took his course. You know, I've, I've watched all of his content from the early days because I'm fascinated by psychological lectures. I'm like, what's not to be fascinated about the human mind, the human condition, you know, the way we work and. Yeah, I was obsessed with it, you know, because it was all, I was learning. I was taking university lectures. And when he dissected Genesis, and I think he did Exodus as well. Um, wow. So, yeah, I, when you mentioned that he freaked out, what, you got some pub from J, JBP? I have missed that completely. Yeah. Or I wasn't yeah, familiar. No, he, I wasn't he had connected. a right proper meltdown when I was wow. deplatformed. He, he really went to town for me, bless his heart. Um, you know, and I was, you know, yeah, so there was some articles written. Yeah. So he was like, you know, Twitter censor me too. I dare you. Oh, that. And okay. That, yeah. yeah. So I do remember yeah, he, it. Refresh really, me on really what the, it. what time good. it was, what, and what um, did we tell, we didn't told the story of that, how that went down, have we? Yeah, uh, how I got deplatformed. Yeah, well, what he was maybe tweeting. that'll be for next time. Okay. I probably yeah, have to go, but um, we can we can bring up some tweets and stuff if you like. Okay. Yep. Anyways, yeah, no, he he really did go to town for me. Um, very cool. Yeah, we just we he sort of um, picked me up when I was covering the convoy. Um, you know, I, I never really expected to be picked up by somebody like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm gonna say that I well, don't convoy, agree with right, all, okay. of his, all of his stuff. Mm-hmm. But I do really appreciate what he brings to the table thought-wise. And I think that's really, really important to to note is that, you know what? You don't have to agree with everybody to appreciate what they bring to your table. Mm -hmm. You're never going to grow if you don't get out of your echo chamber and and think about things. Right? That's so important. And that's something that I'm learning too, right? Is that um, listen to people who don't agree with me. Try to see their point of view, right? Try to understand why they're coming from why they think you know the way that they're thinking um try to make them understand why you're thinking the way that you're thinking right and that is psychology like in and of itself right is is deconstructing the mind and how we work and so all of our minds are very very different um but i think that you know if we look harder we can put aside partisanship and find more commonality than we think amen um and so that's what i'm really really interested in doing right now is is trying to, um, you know, not contribute to an unhealthy um, environment, um, not contribute to an unhealthy online environment, uh, an unhealthy social media environment, things that could be harmful. I'm much more interested in, in um, you know, if I can um, forge, uh, you know, friendships, bridges, alliances um, with people who are different than me and try to, you know, have a reasonable discourse and show that, yeah, this is possible, right? We don't have to be divisive. We don't have to act the way that we're acting. Um, you know, we can be better than our politicians. We can rise above all this, right? And, and we can have really good conversations that are really, really interesting to people mm-hmm. that do not necessarily have to revolve around us tearing each other apart. Amen. I'm right? just going out with your tweet that you sent me over earlier about uh, Blackstone. Oh, man, you do not want to get into that now. That's <laughs> in and of itself. Yeah. I can tell you, if you want to have me back, I'll tell you a fantastic story about that tweet. Right. It was a, it was before my account, my old account was censored. Mm-hmm. 
I had a huge thread on that. It had uh, 1.2 million views. Nice. I love yeah. it when it goes viral. Good so, for you, it man. translated into multiple different languages. Awesome. So it, it, it was a massive thread. So if you want to go into that, we should probably do it another day. Perfect. I um, appreciate your time. Thanks for doing it. And it was nice yeah. to get to know you. And uh, glad to put a face to the to Twitter. Nice to know you, yeah. too. Appreciate Thanks for having it. me on. Okay. And, and anytime. It was, yeah. I mean, this is what we're doing, right? We're networking. Like I said, this is a fantastic fascinating time in, in our lives when we can you know we're not dependent on you know the the normal channels for news and information things like that right you can go to alternative sources you can get alternative media sources um you don't have to agree with them but search them out right go outside your box you, amen you might, be, you might you might be you might be surprised by what you find sometimes All if right. you go outside your box I agree with you. Well, as tradition, I'll tell you, I love you because I love everyone I talk to. And uh, I love you too. Try to practice it with the people I don't talk to. It's hard to get liberals to come on and talk to me. And, you know, I end up talking to people I agree with a lot. So I do appreciate the uh, the personal depth that you went into. And I look forward to you to hitting our, our fast-moving show on something that you're breaking soon. So yeah, it's great that yeah, you're at the, at the front edge of... Yeah, it's great. It's it's kind of I'm putting, you know, trying it on a little bit. You know, how cool is it that people come to you with information? You know what I mean? Like, I'm, I'm out of the game. I'm in Dominican Republic. I'm selling real estate. I'm, you know, I'm not doing that. A buddy say, Jimmy, why aren't you broadcasting the trucks? I go, because I don't care. He goes, but the clicks. And I go, yeah, and I don't care about that. I'm trying to get my life together down here and build it like I left everything in Canada. Right. And then when Maxine Bernier and Randy Hilliard did the press conference. I've been so starved for good, solid leadership on the microphone. And they answered all the media's questions perfectly with science. I'm like, this is my Canadian. I put the flag back in my Twitter account because I took it out. I was ashamed, but you know, and yeah. that was like, yeah, I wasn't, I wasn't moved by the truckers or anything like that. But that one, pla the, that one press conference, I'm like, these are good Canadian patriots, men standing up for the women and children and men all over the country that are getting getting it raw right now. So, yeah, yeah that was I, my turning point. I talked to both of them, um, Max and, and Randy. Uh, uh, I feel very badly about what happened to Randy. I said, Randy, you might want to try to tone it down. I'm worried. Um, and unfortunately, he did, of course, end up being arrested. Um, so yeah, a lot of good people here. Max, say, you know, yeah. Max too. State of the country, right? Yeah. But anyways, yeah, no, um, we've had differences too. I mean, we've had wicked spats, right? I mean, me and Max and me and Randy have gone at it. We've had like wicked, wicked spats, uh, online and things like that. But I mean, at the end of the day, I think that we all understood that you know, ultimately, it's okay to have different opinions. That's what I'm, I'm getting at is that's fine. It doesn't mean that that's not an important part of learning, finding your way, um, you know, finding your path, uh, you know, and disagreement is just as important as, as in democracy as agreement is, uh, if not even more important. You know, I would say that tolerating uh, disagreements, uh, dissidents, and, you know, people who go against the norm, is you know more vital to democracy than people who just go along with it Amen. right that's what keeps democracies vital so um so yeah so 
yeah, lots of love for those two characters and uh, for sure. And, um, uh, you know, if they're listening, hi. <laughs> I'm sure we'll see each other again in Ottawa. I don't think that our stories are done. I'm not sure what rules exactly we're going to play yet, but uh, yeah. Well, thanks for taking time away from your family. I can hear that they're waiting for you, so I appreciate the opportunity. <laughs> I feel like again. playing over there. <laughs> awesome. My okay. favorites. We, we'll invite them on next time if they're not camera shy. But oh, they'll bomb you <laughs> all day long. <laughs> that, that's, that'd be cool. <laughs> all right. Thanks for the time. I really appreciate it. Good stuff. We'll talk soon. Yeah. Thank all you. Right. Thanks, Jim. Take care. Bye. recordings and that's how you do that the andy lee show catch her on twanner catch her on the youtube catch her on our own website here the links are in the show description below the real andy lee show here she is on the youtube and uh yeah we started it out with this and then we didn't hit it but you know it Sometimes the first hour, like I don't know this woman and I appreciate her work. So I kind of want to get the background of like, who is the person that I'm talking to without hitting a whole bunch of issues really hard. So that was a good backgrounder. Good first uh, interview. And I look forward to having her on again soon, especially because uh, she's working on stuff. She's in a position where people bring her news, break stories. And... Um, yeah, there it is. That's how you do that. The Real Andy Andy Lee Show. Catch her on all the links in the show description below. Peace, love, hug your neighbor, and whatever. Stop masking the fucking children. I love you. I'm out. <laughs>